There's a whole crowd of men out there who need this. Welcome to the case study. This case study will be marked down in time. Known to all as the record keeper of the historic rise of the woke man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, welcome, gentlemen. I don't know if any women will be listening to this, but quite frankly, I don't care. What I want is to see the change in man. Yes, that's hurt. The change in man. This is the Woke Man series, where you hear the stories of men who changed, who laid to rest their old ways of thinking, and who opened up and started expressing their truth. Revealing emotion, strengthening their self-awareness, and breaking free from the old paradigm of being a man. This is going to help men find the courage to open up, to break the shackles of toxic masculinity, and to guide them home in becoming a better man. Let's go. Oh, by the way, it's Luca. Luca Reedy from the Feeling Alive podcast. And The Woke Man is a sub-series. You're welcome. Welcome back to The Woke Man series, ladies and gentlemen. The greatest case study on man where we look at the conscious journey of how man goes from unconscious to conscious and that path and what it looks like. So those who are starting the path now and changing their life, changing and stepping onto a down a new direction can see how others have done it. And I'm here today with Mr. Philip Jedstead from Bali. Phil, how are you? I'm good, thanks. And that's great. You got the name right. That's... It is Jedstead, isn't it? It's very good. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So I met, I met Phil uh, here in Bali in a men's group and a dinner we did on a Friday night before COVID sort of shut everything down. And uh, I was very interested and very fascinated by your story and where you're at now and what you've done. Like obviously you can see people watching the video on YouTube can see in the background, you've got some videos with monks and all sorts of things. So it's, it's going to be really cool to share your story. But the first question is, where did you grow up and where do you live now? Uh, look, I, grew, I actually moved around a lot, um, both with my parents and with myself. I was born in Griffith in Australia, um, which is actually infamous for being where the mafia grew all their marijuana. Um, mm. So I guess if you choose where, you, where you're born, I might have chosen there. Uh, <laughs> um, then I lived in Sydney, I've lived in Melbourne, I've lived in Sydney again, a um, couple of country towns. Then when I left home, I went and lived up in Byron Bay in the mm. early 70s and Noosa Heads. Um, and then I also went south of Sydney to a place called Sussex Inlet. Um, so there was a period where I was actually living on, on beaches for quite a long time. Yeah. Mm. And now I've settled in Bali in Umalas. And where, how long have you been living in Bali for? Uh, about eight or nine years, probably a wow. bit longer. Wow, enjoying it. You're, you're settled here, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's good for me because it's kind of central in, in uh, kind of like another version of Singapore in being accessible to, yeah. to the, the Southeast Asia area where I yeah. get some of my work from. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And how old are you now? 70. 70. Wow. 70. Good stint, eh? <laughs> good stint. Wow. And what are you doing for a living right now, Phil? 
nothing with the virus. Um, yeah. Usually when, when the, the, there's an economy, I, I do branding. Um, yeah. So I'll create brands or refresh brands. Uh, I do corporate um, videos, you know, videos or films about corporations that they use to show governments or uh, schools or, yeah, just informational ones. But yeah. I guess awesome. my point of difference there is that I love storytelling, so I always try and tell things through a story rather yeah. than just uh, facts or figures. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And you're writing a book at the moment on your journey. I'm writing right? my own experiences, you know, yeah. um, which is cathartic in itself. I'm just kind of hitting that point and having a bit of a retrospect over mm. where, where did all the years go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah, like I, I feel that at 30 now. Yeah, so yeah. Like double that plus a little bit. Like, do you ever get to that point where you're just like, wow? Like, life has happened. Yeah, yeah, look, I look back and, and I just feel really blessed as well, you know. I mean, obviously, we're all going to have big bumps and big downs, but overall, you know, I really appreciate what I've been given through, mm. through this life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, cool. What's one thing you're really good at? Not answering questions. <laughs> <laughs> Staying quiet, you reckon? <laughs> Um, look, I've actually, there was a book written uh, in Australia. I was a creative director of a large agency, quite a famous one, and there was a book written about it. And there's this, actually this statement where the owner of the agency, quite, again, quite a famous guy, turns to me and says, Phil, you're the quietest guy I know in advertising. You know, so I'm very good at being quiet. I guess, um, Why do you absorbing. feel like you are that way? Sorry? Why do you feel you're, you're quiet, you're, you're good at being quiet? What is look, that? I mean, I actually, I, I look at it and I wonder, I think I told you I came from a military family and so mm. there was a lot of discipline and kind of, I mean, a very intimidating father, so I don't know, you know, whether I, I kind of um, became quiet because of, because of that influence mm. or just whether it's my nature, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, so like I mean, the peaceful observer... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very much more, I guess, a witness and a storyteller than, than stepping forward. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's part of my, the next process in my life is actually finding my voice and, and probably using that a bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. And that's through your storytelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. What's one of your biggest fears right now? Um... Look, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, one fear, obviously, is not having the bank account to, to, to go off into infinity. Um, mm. But, I mean, obviously, I consider death. Mm. But in many ways, they, those thoughts come up, but then I don't entertain them that much, you know? So I'm not mm. really trying to feed any fears that, that may come up. It's just trying to um, acknowledge them and, and, and let them go on their way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. What's one of your favourite quotes? Oh, look, there's, there's heaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I really love Joseph Campbell's Follow Your Bliss. Yeah, um, you said that quite I a love, bit. Yeah, I love Alan Watts, who says, um, you know, relax, nothing is under control. Mm. I love Maya Barber, who was one of the original, uh, not gurus, but saints from India that where the expression, don't worry, be happy, that came from him. I don't know if many people know that, but that's mm. going back to the 30s. Um, and then I had uh, my own guru who said, 
honour yourself, worship yourself, God lives within you as you. And I mean, that actually uh, carried with it an experience that has been um, close to me ever since that. And then also another master that I currently work with has summed it all up by saying, make the rest of your life the best of your life. So mm. I've got a little glad bag of them all, you know, that's yeah, yeah. appropriate moment. Yeah, you the stock, <laughs> haven't you? Yeah, well, look, just some fortunate some of the people I've been with have been able to express fantastic concepts, but really concisely. And coming from an advertising background, I, I really love simplicity, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, so I have. I've, I've kind of I've taken on a lot of that. Yeah. What do you feel like? You'll see them like? in the book. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so you say relax, nothing is under control. How does that make, like, why do you love that one so much? Um, because we're all so busy trying to control things. Mm. Um, and then, you know, um, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But personally, I believe if you find what Joseph Campbell calls your bliss or your inner self or whatever, um, and you align with that, then things start to happen for you rather than you trying to make them happen, you know? Mm. You're actually, I guess, following what you love or, or you find that. Um, again, if I use Joseph Campbell, he says, doors open where there were once walls. Mm. Um, so, yeah. How do you get to that point where you, see, where you see a wall that turns into a door? Like, what is it that gets you to that point? Look, I think loving what you do, you know, loving what you do and loving the planet and loving, loving, kind mm -hmm. of gets you there, you know. Um, yeah, you can tell. You can tell I'm an old hippie. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, and that's why. That's why I think you and I catch up a lot is because we yeah. talk about these sort of stuff. But I get it and I understand it, so it's nice to be able to share that. You know. Well, look, I mean, as I've said to you, it's really fantastic to see your generation coming through and, and mm. questioning and probably opening out what my generation experienced a lot, you know, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and taking that to the next level. So I just think, yeah, I really love watching you and your guys, you know, kind of unfold things as well as you go yeah. along. Yeah, for sure. What's a conscious man to you, Phil? Sorry? What's a conscious man to you? Um, look, I guess someone that's aware, aware of, it comes, again, I think if you have this experience of yourself, then this innate consciousness comes through, um, and you just treat things with respect, and, um, yeah, just someone that is, I guess, maybe more aware of what the ego world is. Yeah. Mm, the ego world. What is the ego world? That's um, the world that kind of keeps a lot of... Most, a lot of things are kept separate from the ego world, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and the identification with the ego world is I am this. Uh, I shouldn't say that because I am this is a big, a big mantra that, that's very powerful. Um, but... Yeah, it, it's often... It's like labelling? Um, sorry? Like yeah. labelling? Yeah, of yourself. Yeah. You know, um, and that often... And, and of everything and everyone else. And that often creates separation, you know? Um, and mm. to me, the ideal of a conscious, I guess, conscious person is someone that uh, has non-duality, you know? Mm. Like, you, you see everything equally, 
Um, mm. You know, if I can use the word divine, then like that. Um, and the ego then becomes more of a, a servant to that rather than controlling you. I mean, mm. they're the two states I see in, in individual ego. The lower ego um, is creates a lot of separation mm-hmm. and then the, the higher form of it um, becomes a servant to, yeah. to the innate goodness in everyone. Yeah. Amazing. What's one thing that challenges you right now? Um, I don't know, um, to be honest. Look, I mean... You're living a pretty easy life, eh? <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Look, I mean, there's financial challenges is probably the prime one at the moment. Yeah, yeah, internally I feel kind of pretty happy. Um, I mean, there will always be challenges. I mean, some of them are big and some of them are small. Mm. Um, And I just kind of look at them as they arrive. But Mm. as I said, at the moment it's financial and then I come back to trust with that too because... Mm. I've always had that approach and something has always kind of unfolded at the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that. It's also one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? When the money is like not flowing, you just got to trust yeah. what's there. Well, I mean, there's always a choice of living in fear or, or living in, you know... Um, Abundance. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we've got all these choices along the way. We're just trying to kind of click the... Stick onto the one that is positive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I feel that. What's unconditional love mean to you, Phil? Well, exactly what it says, you know. Um, yeah, there's no condition. It's just pure love. It's, it's um, I mean, on, on yeah, on the there's no judgments involved in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where have you experienced unconditional love? Where? Yeah, where and when have you experienced it? Um, look, I mean, to be honest, probably the thing that started me wanting to know more about consciousness was through psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I experienced kind of, had experiences of unconditional love. Um, and that became addictive too, mm-hmm. you know, the, the experience, not, not, not the drug, but the actual experience where, where you were going yeah yeah of just starting to see everything as you know just the beauty that 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 we are and that we're living in you know um yeah yeah i feel that what do, what do you this is the last question of this section yeah what greater power to you what do you believe in a greater power and what is that well um Look, I believe, I mean, I use the word God sometimes, but whether it's consciousness or energy or chi or shakti or, I mean, I think primarily, I mean, if you look around, there's just intelligence everywhere, you know, intelligence in nature, the way things grow, uh, the order of the natural sequences of things. Um, So, yes, there is a higher um, form of intelligence, but also from my own experiences, I'd say, Wrapped up in that is that it's a source of love and creativity. Um, so there is, yeah, I mean, I, I just see, if I call it God, that it's the source of love mm. and creativity and also um, super intelligence, you know. Mm. How, and how again, do you connect to it? How, do you, how would you connect to it? 
Um, look, that's ideally the, the, the result of all, all, all the great religious paths of the world. Um, because if you look at them, if you take them apart, I mean, I've spent time with Taoist masters, Hindu masters, you know, just kind of natural people. Um, and the destination is always the same. So um, people get... I'm just trying to um, enunciate, I guess. I mean, I believe there's a, a common state in all of us that is, like I was touching on before, beyond ego, that um, is a, um, our own source of that divinity within us. Mm -hmm. um, how to get there is there's different ways. Um, we, we all experience it in little forms, you know, where we often get a, a car or we get a, 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 see a friend or the sun falls in our face and we get these little experiences of bliss mm -hmm. and then it's starting to realise that we're the source of bliss, not the thing that gave it to us. Um, and it's, it's finding that within. And, and, I mean, I was fortunate in that um, when I was quite young, I met a guru and I wasn't even looking for one and I received this thing from him called Shaktipat is actually a transmission of energy, of consciousness. Um, and that put me in touch with that part of myself. So mm -hmm. in terms of was this experience the result of a lot of effort? No, it wasn't. It was kind of something that was gifted to me on a plate. Um, mm -hmm. But that state that I experienced, I see in everyone, and everyone has the capacity to do it. Um, and it's like the more you turn down other people's voices in your head, the more your own voice starts to come through mm -hmm. and I guess what I call the inner guru, your own inner guru starts to take over and lead you to that place, mm -hmm. no? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. It's cool, it's cool hearing you see, just talk about your perspective, man. Uh, now we get into your, your conscious journey, Phil. Yeah. What was your life, how did your life look, you know, I mean, whenever that started for you, I know you're 70 now, but where as an unconscious person, you know, not really aware of what you see now, is more of yourself as a conscious man. And how does that compare to the person you are now? And when was that? Well, look, it's been kind of... Um, I mean, in a way, my first really um, blissful experience was through surfing. Um, and up to that point, that was like 14 or 15. And up to that point, I, I think I was just like a, a naive, kind of happy-go-lucky kid. I didn't have any particular traumas with my family. Um, I mean, as I mentioned, my, I came from a military lineage and that is maybe what um, made me quieter than what I could be. Um, but I never saw that as being traumatic. I just fell in love with surfing and I fell in love with the experience that I got from surfing and I wanted to ha find more of it. Um, and then from that, a kind of, in that period, uh, uh, I mean, it was obviously the 60s and, and we had all this, this amazing music was coming out, um, everyone, the whole thing of consciousness became a whole area of discussion. So it was easy, you know, I got obviously caught up in that. Mm. Um, and then the psychedelics came in with it and I had, um, this whole experience that I, I touched on before of, um, I guess, discovering the bliss within or, or, or God within. Um, and that, that really um, was kind of 
earth-shattering in a way because I just realised that we ha- we have the spark of God within us, you know. Again, of what we what I call God, which is the source of creativity, the source of love, intelligence, all that. And that really was expansive. Um, and again, that stayed with me for quite a long time. I became kind of quite ecstatic, you know, and, and it was like, fuck, you know, we're amazing. And I was raving to everyone about, you're, you're incredible, do you know who you really are, you know, <laughs> all this stuff. Yeah. Oh, um, that's funny. And, and then I kind of had to swallow it more, you know, because yeah. it, it wasn't easy um, <laughs> talking to people like that. Totally. So, how old were you then? Probably 20, 19 or 20. Yeah, so you were surfing, found the bliss in the surfing, yeah. and then you know, yeah. like, whoa, this is crazy, I want to share this. Yeah. And then what, and was then, that? Um, what did you go, go on then? You went on a journey to go sort of traveling around places, didn't you? Well, from there, because again, it was a bit of an acid period, I was starting to um, just see the city, you know, and I wasn't liking what I was seeing. It was all mm. sharp and cement and kind of, no nature, and mm. you know, I'd look at women, and the makeup would be kind of six inches off their face. So I thought, I'm out of here, you know. And I mm. went up and found an old farm up in Byron Bay, um, and so I stayed there for quite a while. And, and just, I mean, I was just doing odd jobs. I was building barbed wire fences, and um, yeah, just whatever I could to survive, and go down and surf with the dolphins because mm. at that stage it was almost um, still. A, a bit of a secret, you know, it was, it was so beautiful. Um, and then through that, um, I ended up, did you hear of the Nimbin Festival? Yeah. Yeah, well, I went marijuana. to Sydney, sorry? A lot of marijuana. See, the, no, no, that, that's, the, that's the kind of image that the press put out and they'd love you to believe because um, it was actually like a festival put together by the art faculties of the universities. Okay. Um, and these guys went up and found Nimbin, which was behind Byron. And I met them and they said, come and have a look at what we're going to do. And, and they'd taken over the town. And, you know, so I jumped in and helped started painting the rainbows. And I started the Nimbin Good Times newspaper for them, which oh. then got taken over by the uni. Um, but, I mean... That was brilliant because because it was university driven. There were a lot of workshops there that have have never been spoken about. You know, mm. there was there was the architecture faculty showing you know yeah. geodesic domes and and kind of um, sustainable homes. At that point, they, they, they were showing permaculture. Um, there was the school of social studies doing a lot of you know kind of mm. social work. So there were there were a lot of workshops going on mm. and a lot of fantastic musicians there. So I mean, I. I had a great time there, and as I said, it's unfortunate that um, it was propagated as a huge drug party. I mean, there were drugs there, obviously. Um, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, a lot of the real bright sparks kind of went back to the unis and have been integrated into yeah. society in many ways and gone yeah. undercover in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, yeah, But did then... You, did you say so you mean undercover like as in, like, conscious going back into a, an unconscious environment? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. going back into their jobs or whatever, but still, yeah. by the way of being, still having an influence, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's what I call the yoga of, of living. It's the hardest yoga. You know? mm. um, and there I got introduced to video. These guys came up with what was the first portable video gear to record the, the festival and put in a closed-circuit TV thing. 
and I started working with them and I fell in love with uh, video um, and that led to another whole thing where I, I went to Sydney and my car blew up when I was there and the uni guys found out what had happened and they got me a job at the uni uh, helping kids in social work tell stories of their clients and everything using <laughs> video and that was just, I mean, that was all spontaneous and great. Right. You know? And then I met a That's guy really in advertising cool. and he said, what do you do? And I said, I do video and he said, well, yeah, we need someone in video in the agency. Can you do that? Um, and I said, yeah, I can do that. I think they wanted a token hippie too, you know, just kind of flitting around in the background, so <laughs> showing they were creative. Yeah. And um, so I just started doing video production and, and cutting storyboards. And I started thinking I can write better than these guys. So I just started writing. Um, and then that progression up became where I became creative director of... Um, several kind of quite famous agencies and but then I finished that and just became a consultant for probably the last oh, 20 years you know like a like an original uh, digital nomad almost like Hunter S Thompson called himself uh, a typewriter nomad you know I kind of just came after that um, okay. yeah but concurrent with that I mean that's part of the story when I was doing video someone rang me up and said my guru is coming um, on his first world tour, can he come and take photos of him? So I went out to the airport to take photos. And um, in brief, the first photo I took of the, the guru was when he pointed at me and it was first coming into focus and I got this transmission called Shakti Park, which mm. is the transmission of consciousness, energy. That took me back to the original kind of acid thing of, of, of bliss and I thought, shit, here's someone that lives in that state and is super intelligent, super just just a superhuman you know it's wow. possible it is possible to live in that state and operate from it so mm, interesting. Um, after that i became i spent you know as much as i was in the advertising world I, I was spending as much time as i could with him in india and in america and australia um and it ended up traveling around everywhere searching yeah. for con more consciousness well just just absorbing you know um, i mean it's interesting because that that period a lot of the uh, what we call gurus or masters were more like transmitters, you know. Um, they could actually transmit consciousness. It wasn't like, oh, shit, you've got to do 3,000 hours of yoga and, and, and um, accomplish all these asanas. It's like you can be in the presence of someone like that mm -hmm. and that presence is so powerful. If you're open, uh, sometimes, you know, um, you... you it's like the story, you know, Baba Ramdas. Yeah. You know, he, he went to India and he had the same, a similar experience with his guru, where, again, I was just going there fairly open minded um, and all of a sudden having this experience of pure love and, and, and um, divinity. You know? and, and so he came back and he shared that. I mean, um, as I said, a lot, of, you know, the, the ones from those were really transmitters and I think it needed that intensity for, for that level to come into our consciousness because the generation before me, like I mentioned with my father, the military, I'm sure he had post-traumatic stress, you know, mm. and it just needed the burst, I think, of psychedelics and, and you know, um, master gurus to come in and, and, and give this massive love injection. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, and did, that ever did that end up happening for your father? No, 
No. He didn't ever get into the, the field of consciousness as you were learning it? No, no. I mean, he, he maintained his military relationship right up. Yeah. Mm. He actually died on Anzac Day in Australia. Wow. Yeah, but um, yeah. So, so do you do you say for you? It sounds like it's very much a like from nineteen twenty. It was very much just a p- progressive journey, and then you went through like deeper levels of exploring consciousness, human consciousness, with like psychedelics and everything in the sixties. Yeah. Do you feel like you were exploring psychedelics to to escape something in the real world, or were you doing it because your pursuit of this consciousness was overpowering for you and you saw there was a beauty to it? Look, it was a bit of both. I moved away from acid and, and just, you know, became a bit of a mushroom man. Um, and, I mean, because I was living at Byron and up at Noosa and whatever, um, it was always beautiful. It was always a beautiful experience, you know, of, of just in nature and, and just, again, just in Wonderland, you know, right? <laughs> um, going, you know, I, I lived on a hill in Byron, and by the time you know I dropped the mushroom and got down to the ocean, it was all it was all too beautiful. You know? mm-hmm. So um, I never actually did have a a bad experience, um, but I, I mean I haven't gone near psychedelics or in, any mind altering state now for probably I don't know forty years, something like that. Wow. Um, I maintained the pot for a while and then even dropped that away because I just started thinking, I got to a, an age probably 10 years past you where I thought, I better try and regenerate rather than degenerate, you know, <laughs> so uh, yeah. got into kind of just really simple practices that I've learned along the way. Like after my, after my guru died, through another sequence of events, I was introduced to a Qigong master um, and I, I started helping him because that... Um, at that stage, Qigong wasn't known really, so I was helping him um, in Melbourne kind of enter into society and explain what it was and give people experiences of it and healings and everything. And then he invited me to go to China with him. So I went to China um, and again just met these amazing masters, you know, and you just go, fuck, human potential is just so amazing, you know. Especially in the East, eh? Yeah, yeah, well, they're much more aware of it, you know. I mean, we we all got a potential, but when you see just what you know um, on all levels, like on healing level, on master, uh, martial art level, on you know just from the whole spectrum of of what a human can be, um, we we're just so amazing, you know. We are really amazing. Yeah, um, yeah we're beautiful. We're incredible. Yeah. I mean that that's the thing. I just don't think I don't think many people give themselves. Uh, justice for the greatness that they have, mm. you know. I think I think each and every one of us is great and, and has the potential to be great and mm. we get caught up in listening to other people's opinions or, you know, we, we listen to all the voices that take us away from the innate knowledge of that, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, but the more we can clear that away, the more we can turn those voices down or dispel mm. them, then this innate knowledge that we have, this innate state of being that we have, um, Come through, shines through. And, mm. I mean, as I said, you know, you see the martial artists and they can be supermen, you know? Um, yeah. And you see the, the master healers and that they're just healing through energy. So, um, yeah, the, the potential that we all have, um, it's all there. It's all there. I mean, because often, like you mentioned, I'll go to men's groups and, and just I hear people talking and go, 
if only you knew how great you were, <laughs> that, that you, you stuck with these other people's opinion of yourself, you know? And it, if you can start to, to minimise that or eradicate that, then you'll start to find out just just yeah, the greatness that you are, you know? Mm. Yeah. The, the, uh, the expectations or the, yeah, the impressions others place on us, you know, and it's, it can be crippling. Did you have a lot of that? Like, did you have to shake a lot of that off in your life? You worry um, about what other people think? No, I mean, as I said, I, I just did what I loved. Or, I mean, maybe even loved is, is too grand a word for it. I just did what I thought was fun, you know? mm. <laughs> And that, fight, that that took me all the way through, you know, from working so in the abbot class in the meat your, work. Yeah. Following your bliss, yeah? Yeah. You know, I mean, again, the Taoist thing is go with the flow. That's where mm. that expression comes from. Mm. Um, so, yeah. What, yeah, was, what was your biggest vice in that period, Phil? My so, biggest vice? Yeah, in that in that period of like learning, you know, the younger period, going through the, the evolution of your own consciousness and expanding that. It was mostly just drugs, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, I think I've just been born with a really simple... I've just been... I think I've been born really simple. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <'Cause> I, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... Or, or naive, you know? Mm. Or, or, You're um, just like, I just want to, I'm here to experience life, I'm just going to go for it, do whatever yeah. I want to do. and it's like the mantra of, of just keeping it simple. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. What was the greatest emotion that challenged you most? Uh, you know, like think of uh, the top emotions like anger, anxiety, shame, guilt, fear, sadness. Like which one was troubling you the most as you were going through that period of expanding your consciousness? Look, it's more in the latter part of my life that I started to experience that. And again, that was... Um, look, because on one hand, it's like, yeah, I feel, you feel anger, but you, you can control that a bit more. Again, you, you can try and look for the volume control on it and, and mm -hmm. turn it down so that it doesn't last as long. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, the death of my parents was, was probably um, the, the emotions that really shook me. And again... Probably regret comes into that. I'm thinking, fuck, you know. Um, I'm now understanding my father that, you know, as much as he was a military man, and I mean, they had that whole thing put on them about you've got to be a man. You can't show emotion. You can't do any of that, you know. And just realizing that the poor guy, you know, um, had experienced all this stuff, and it was that whole generation, I'm sure, were just really post traumatic stressed, you know. So, uh, and I didn't understand that at the time, so I probably didn't open up the communication as much, you know. Mm. Um, and it was only in the latter part um, of our lives where, I mean, it totally fruck him out that all of a sudden, you know, he, he had a son that had really long hair and was sitting on the, the hill at Bondi smoking dope and surfing and yeah. not volunteering for the army. Yeah. So, you know, and then at the end, by the time I had actually... Um, attain some form of success in the world, he started to, to acknowledge that and, and um, give me respect for it. Mm -hmm. And we build a lot of bridges, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, and then with, same with my mother. I just think I would have, you know, in retrospect, loved to have spent probably more time with her and, and had, mm -hmm. you know, a few more better discussions. Yeah. But even the resolution at the, at the point of her death was, was beautiful. So that dissolved a lot. But mm -hmm. they were the, you know, the, the regret. Um, yeah, just so it'd be like a, a sense of anger for you growing up, but also guilt. Oh, sorry, anger as you got older, but guilt there 
as well when you were did when you regretted spending not spending enough time with your parents? Yeah, look, I mean, I don't think there was anger when I was growing up. I mean, I think I was um, maybe maybe you know, I just wasn't acknowledging it, but I was yeah. too busy um, having fun, you know, yeah. too busy yeah, enjoying yeah. myself to really um, become. Uh, to let anything really get in the way of interesting, it. Interesting, interesting. So uh, yeah, it was the guilt later then. Yeah, yeah, it was like the guilt, you know, during and after the event where. Wow. How long um, ago was that? That's going back probably twenty years now. Yeah. Yeah. So you really went through as you were going through that, um, you know, in your early twenties, thirties, and even forties, even by the sounds of it, you were pretty much just really free flowing and didn't really have too many, like emotions coming up. In that period, like not really. It was trouble. just really quite joyful. I mean, um, I mean, I had a son, and and that 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 has been fantastic. I mean, mm. that's been interesting seeing what he. I mean, he's probably older than you now, you know, um, but who was subjected to living in ashrams and being around gurus and all that stuff. Um, Is he doing I mean, that stuff now? No, <laughs> but. Um, He's obviously imbibed it, you know, um, because, uh, you know, he doesn't want to know about it, but it still comes through in the way that he lives, you know. Um, yeah, he just you can seems, see it in his I mean, character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's been a wild boy in his time too, mm. you know. Um, but he's always had this innate goodness, which is, is beautiful to see, you know. That's, and that's it, attracted a beautiful woman to him and he's got a beautiful son. So, nice. But, I mean... It, for a large part of my life, it was. It was really almost worry-free, you know. Mm, um, and then, yeah, then, but, you know, like, no one gets away with anything. You don't, you don't, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. You believe that? You believe that there's, there's always something there for someone in this life, like, challenging? Well, look, I mean, I think we always have our, we all have our turn in the spotlight where you think this is fantastic and this is really easy, do you know? Um yeah, and then next thing you know, you know, from left field, this kind of torpedo comes, and you go, shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, as a, I had this period of, of probably a year where my father passed away, and that was quite traumatic, just in the nature of his passing. Um, and then as a, as a flow-on from that, my mother um, ended up kind of passing away. And in the middle of that, I had a divorce. Mm-hmm. And then in, part of that was selling a house, um, yeah, divorcing, leaving a job. Then I, I, I changed state, so it was also finding a new job and a new place to live and all that stuff. So within about 18 months, I had all the... Uh, probably the Yeah, most of the traumas that, you know, you, you can experience over a longer period. But again, um, I feel fortunate that because some of the stuff that I'd learned from these masters that I'd spent time with helped me understand it a bit more and helped me kind of unravel it a bit more. Um, but, I mean, I still, you know, I, I still have emotions coming from that, you know, or... or um, Do you feel like in, there in, was a sense of, like, there was an aspect of you that was ignoring it or ignorance there, or do you not feel that way? The Prior to all that? Yeah, like, do you feel like now that it's sort of, like, catching up later, was it because there was ignorance or is it just, like, how do you perceive it? Um, look, I don't know if it was karma or whatever. Yeah. I don't think I was suppressing anything. Yeah. But um, 
I certainly had my time where the, the universe put a spotlight on me and said, okay, you think, you think life's easy? Now deal with this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, you did well. Now look at you. Are you talking about it and yeah, you're helping others understand it differently. So it's good. Look, I mean, it's, it's funny because I, I see what's happening now as my experience 2.0. I thought I mentioned it to you. Like, in my period, you know, the world had come out of the atomic bomb, the, the period of atomic bomb and a horrific thing and mm. consciousness had been contracting and it needed something to shake it up and yeah. at that point, you know, it was drugs and um, whatever, but out of that became cooperation, co-working, you know, or, or a lot of the modalities, a lot of the things that we're seeing today all came out of that. Like. Uh, it introduced yoga to the world and introduced a lot of kind of the psychotherapies and transpersonal psychology and all this stuff kind of came out of it. Um, and now, you know, the, the world has gone through another version, I guess, of the trauma where it's mm -hmm. just got to the stage where it couldn't deal with what was being done to it anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of shaking off the fleas and again now people are discovering themselves because their their identity from their job has been removed, you know, they're no longer on the managing director, they're just, I'm a person, what am I, you know, mm. um, who am I? There, there's no more putting an identity on with the suit, the suit's been taken away, so mm. hopefully there's a lot more self-discovery going on and um, I, I just see, and it's great to see a lot more co-working going on, you know, a lot more cooperation, a lot more community stuff happening. Um, as I said, it's like point two because there's probably been an evolution in understanding of each of those things as well over the years. And yeah. like um, people like yourself and your friends that are, yeah. you know, um, unfolding that and taking it further. Yeah, yeah well, who knows, man? Well, I mean, it fascinates me and it fascinates my friends. So I think there's, and you know, just reading stuff and learning stuff is just, just profound but I think there's so much more people doing it now and stepping into this now than, than back then too so um, yeah it's going to be very interesting Wh whose love did you crave most Phil growing up and who did you have to be to get it was it your dad's look again I mean I don't know if that thing you touched on of whether I had suppressed or, or kind of hidden something but I never felt like that you know um as I said, I'd kind of, I'd kind of um, just loved, just loved, you know, um, and I, I didn't really feel that I needed love from a particular person. I mean, I was married to a really beautiful girl, um, so as I you said, had maybe like I was, a sense of freedom where you just didn't, really, you didn't naturally didn't need it. Yeah. Yeah, Look again, that thing of, of just um, wow. having having just having whether it's a simple mind, you know, whether I've got a simple mind that doesn't really get caught up in too much stuff like that, you know. Yeah. I do don't you know. Like, do you feel like it was from like learning, you know, all your different masters and gurus that you had over time? That like maybe it was you learning those concepts from a young age and, and their philosophies from a young age that it was like, oh yeah, I, I get it, and just click for you. Because there's a lot of Look, like practice I mean, of like, like you say, non-duality, detachment. Yeah, it looked, I mean, uh, when I was face to face with them, um, 
you know, there was love there and I gave it much love uh, uh, and received as much love as we were all capable of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really feel like I was carrying anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe, look, maybe I need to go and see someone now and, and really dig deep and, and find out, yeah, fuck you were, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I wasn't conscious of it at the time. And as I said, I, you know, I was, I was kind of um, looking for the next wave or the next experience or the next learning or the, you know. Interesting, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. What was the, did you ever have a really low point in your life? Like, I mean, you said that there was the heap of stuff that happened in about an 18 month period. Yeah. Was that one of the lowest points of your life or was there something else? Oh, that would be the lowest point, you know? That would be. Was suicide yeah. ever an option for you, Phil? Um, look, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, occasionally you think, oh, look, you know, I've had a good one, I could go now, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, but, but never, I mean, I think, I don't know whether it passes through everyone's mind or, or um, but ne- ne- never serious, yeah. 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 And what was, does that come from that low period or was it just sort of like after, and was that low period a pivotal moment for you in your life? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, I think it affected me for quite a while after. As I said, although I had these modalities that helped kind of ease it and give me a perspective on it, I still think I had my version of post-traumatic stress after it, you know. Um, And I probably still have some strains of that now, to be honest, you know. Um, Yeah, I mean, it it did did shift my... I mean, I guess in a way I went, oh, fuck you, universe, you know. Um, why are you doing this to me? You know, because <laughs> you had you had what, both both parents died at the same time. Were your dad first, mum second? My, my 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 dad first. I mean, what happened just briefly was that, as I said, he died on Anzac Day. Oh, he had the heart attack on Anzac Day, which is perfect for his yeah. values and with his best friends from the war. Um, but then the hospital took him to hospital, and about thirty minutes, thirty five, forty minutes after the heart attack came out and said to my mother, look, we've got him breathing again, um, but he's going to be a vegetable. What, what do you want to do about it? Do you, you know, can you take him home or do, will we turn off the machine and let his kidneys fail? So she had to make the decision um, of turning off the machine and letting his kidneys fail, you know, which really destroyed her. Um, so, I mean, there was a period of probably, I, I don't even know the period of time anymore where we would just sit with him and talk and, and just wait for you know, him to pass on. Um, and that really destroyed her having to make that decision. And she had also been um, under the, his umbrella for a long time, you know, because he was such a powerful personality. Um, and once that umbrella was removed, it was really she hard for her. She didn't feel like she knew what to do. Yeah, I think she was, I mean, she became really lost and also just, as I said, the weight of having to make that decision. So then she started having stomach problems and then, I mean, um, I was trying to teach her some Qigong to get rid of stress. Um, she, she said, um, look, you know, the way I know is the whole medical thing. I need to just focus on that and go with them. And they said, we want to do a little surgery on you um, to see 
what's going on because we can't see anything from the test. And the Qigong master was saying, look, it's just, it's really stressed, you know, that's what's doing it. And so they took her into surgery and literally kind of cut her from one side to the other and still didn't find anything. And she only, she came out of the surgery and just was with us for probably two or three hours, you know. And I had the opportunity to say, Mum, I really love you. And she said, that seemed to bring this incredible moment of clarity where we both kind of connected. And she said, yeah, I really love you too. You know, there was just this incredible um, moment. Yeah, and then she passed on, you know. That day. um, Sorry? That day. Yeah, that literally just after that. After you said that, she passed on. Yeah, yeah. She kind of had this pure moment of pure clarity because coming out of the surgery, she was still probably hallucinating, you know, all that stuff. You could just see she was mumbling a bit and whatever. And then as soon as I said that, it was like just incredible clarity came over and she responded. And then they were the, the final words that we said to each other, which in a way was really beautiful. Wow, that is yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And then you went through a divorce not long after that. In the middle of all that. Wow. And so busy selling a house and buying, you know, something else and moving state and changing jobs. So there was a lot going on. Did you find, like in that point, you were going, was it easy for you to go, this is happening for me, or was it really much like you were going, no, how could this be happening to me? There was, there was more the latter, you know, yeah, feeling a bit pissed off at the universe, <laughs> turning the spotlight on me. Like everything, <laughs> you've, everything you've been practicing and believing, you're like, but surely, like, this doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. But then the other side of that is because of what I had learned, it, it helped, um, I'm sure it helped immensely, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, and gave me a perspective on it. As I said, you know, it, it left a mark on me and probably still has left a mark on me, but um, yeah, overall I, I still, I mean, I, I just feel incredibly fortunate as well. Yeah. What was the most significant moment of awakening for you, Phil? Of awakening? Yeah. I mean, they just... You just, yeah, went to the next level. It was like, it just popped out. Well, I mean, it's that moment that I refer back to on psychedelics of the experience. Have you heard of the mantra, I am that? Yeah. I mean, you sent me a book just recently with that, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, often today I hear people talking about the mantra of I am, um, which is like a lower form of it, you know, where I am this or they put a qualification on it. But the original most powerful one is I am that, and that is, um, again, coming back to God, you know, whatever you want to say is God. So it's aligning yourself um, with that or experiencing that. And that's what I experienced on the asset was I am that. It's like, fuck, I'm that, I am this, you know. And it became a a really tangible experience where, again, It it clicked, you know, and there was no longer separation. It was like... um, it was like non-duality of, yeah, I'm here, I've got an ego, and that helps me talk to people and whatever, but um, moving underneath all that is just this whole interconnectedness with everything, you know? And out of that, um, I guess it comes a respect for people, you know, no matter whether you on the ego level, whether you like them or dislike them, there's still a basic respect of, yeah. of, of it, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. I get that. 
So, what, I mean... Um, what healing yeah. modality did you use most, Bill? What was, like, your meditation? What was the biggest one or the couple it's of It's become a mix. Used? I mean, I think I mentioned to you from my Indian guru that I got the Shakti part from, which is like a Kundalini awakening. Yeah. Um, I mean, through that, I got a really uh, profound experience of divinity, or, of divinity within myself, divinity within everything. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't really do much asana after that because surfing became my version of it in a way. And then I met the Qigong master, um, and although their philosophy is similar, I got a more awareness of nature and, and the interaction that we can have with nature. How, through Qigong. Yeah, wow. yeah. Through Taoism, like through um, how nature can be supportive and, you know, if you learn to, you can learn to just interact with it. So you, yeah. you learn a bit more about drawing the energy from it, the beautiful energy that it has to offer you, you know. Mm. Even the wisdom, you know, the wisdom. Mm. I'll go down to Kuda and just see these beautiful old trees and I just think, wow, you're so old, you're so wise, you know, yeah. and you just kind of imbibe that from them. Yeah. So I got more of an interplay with, with the guru, I got much cosmic. Um, with the Qigong master, I got still, you know, the integration of man and heaven and earth, but also just how, how to interact a bit more with the energy of nature. Yeah. And then the, uh, he went back to China, and then I, I think I told you, I thought, that's over now. Um, this, I'll, I'll go back into the world more. And then I found a, a Vietnamese master on my doorstep. I opened the door and there's this guy with a massage table. Mm -hmm. Turned out he's probably one of the most remarkable healers that, that is. And again, he uses chi, but he's very pragmatic. I mean, um, he looks after um, Olympic stars. He looks after Rupert Murdoch for a while. He looked after, like, Keanu Reeves when Keanu Reeves came to Australia um, to do the Matrix. He's actually credited with saving the Matrix because of Keanu had a bad neck and my friend uh, kept him going. Wow. So again, I, I formed a, another close association with another remarkable person, you know. Yeah. And he's another one that gives me all these kind of two-liners, you know. I think I mean, the one that's resonating with me most at the moment is make the rest of your life the best of your life, which I really loved, you know. Um, but then he does stuff like, you know, your body's your temple, but... Um, you can go and have a party in the temple, but just clean up the next day, you yeah. know, and are you eating for your tongue or are you eating for your body? And, yeah. I mean, just all these great little expressions that um, are actually very powerful. Interesting. So, so, you I mean, had, again, like, so you've had like, what? so just back to Shakti part, is that yeah. something that we can all experience? Or how would someone listening now who started um, this journey experience that? I mean, at that period, the, the, a Siddha Guru has the power to do that, you know? Um, yeah, so... What's a Siddha Guru? Well, a Siddha Guru that is a transmitter like that, that can transmit Shakti, you know? Is that just like an Indian Guru or any type of... Like... Well, it's like a Super Guru, you know? That okay. they, again, have built their own capabilities up. Um, look, there's various forms, you know? Um, I mean, there are the masters, and mm. I, I don't know, I haven't experienced any these days. Um, I mean, again, in my day, only 30 or 40 people, and mm -hmm. then by the time he passed away, there were thousands, you know, mm -hmm. and ashrams all around the world. Mm -hmm. um, 
So the Siddha Guru is someone that has that capacity. I mean, people can actually, um, looking at photographs, listening to voices or whatever, you know, because they mm. are transmitted. It's not necessarily having to be in the presence of. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Or even just through, um, I mean, all the yogas are designed to give you that experience. Mm. You know? um, mm-hmm. And it's really, again, I think, whether people are really aware of what they're doing. Yeah. Experience of non-duality, you know, of divinity. Taoism mm-hmm. um, gives you that experience. Buddhism gives you that experience. Again, mm-hmm. I also spent time with a, I think I told you, the Buddhist master in China. Probably because it's in China, a lot of the gods and goddesses of Buddhism he'd removed and was very clear. And he just said, once you have that, experience, the world looks different to you. There's no longer objective and there's no longer subjective. Mm. And each of these people, probably being with four or five ones that I think are extra special, they all come back to, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within you, God lives within you as you, you know. Mm. And if you know that that is the destination of what you're trying to do, you're going to get there, you know. Mm. but when, when you're not clear of what the destination is, yeah. then wh- where are you going to end up, you know? Yeah, um, so true, eh? uh, That's what I think, you know. It just As I said, I see a lot of yogas today, but I don't think they're really on it, you know. Mm. I think they get caught up in the asana, you know, mm. and, and getting the perfect body. Just like and, the postures. And, yeah, identifying more and more with the body, you know. Mm. Um, but as I said, back, back in the day, it wasn't so much about, uh, find, find yourself a, a comfortable position, you know, a basic yoga position, but then meditate on, on I am that, you know. Mm. Um, and I mean, the last, the last book that my guru wrote after you know, years of books and books, it just came back, he said, look, do whatever modality you want to go off and do that, but just be aware of your breathing, and when you're breathing, remember I am that, you know. Mm. Um, and he said, you're pretty sweet if you've got that as a toolkit. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's so simple when you look at it like that. Cause the well, it is. So I mean, the, the mantra is so hum or, or hamsa. Either of those mean I am that. And if you uh, integrate that with your breathing, then the whole thing becomes integrating, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the breath becomes integrated with the body. The mind becomes integrated with the body and the heavens, you know, or the God or, or whatever. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's what I believe. Yeah. Um, I that, that, yeah. If you know the destination, then you'll get there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If what you don't know, well, you know, you, you're going to end up at don't know. You, <laughs> you might end up um, peaceful, you know, yeah. but there's still a few, a few stops along the line yeah. after that. Yeah. Yeah. What about your friend group, Phil? How's that changed as you've, your journey's gone on? You've moved a lot. You've gone to a lot of different places, towns, cities, countries, like... Has, have you always like attracted a specific type of person? Have you had to leave a lot of friends behind? Look, I mean, most of the people I spend time with are, are, are conscious, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate. I mean, there's another story there because way back when, when we were young, you know, and you know, my age, probably around your age, younger, probably about 24, 25, and my friends had children and... Through circumstances, you know, we all met the guru um, and there was a bunch of us from Sydney and from Melbourne and we decided to 
create an ashram. You know, we're going to we're going to build an ashram kind of thing. So we bought land outside Melbourne, probably 400 acres, to, to build an ashram. You know, for city yoga. Um, but once we got there, I mean, you know, just all the normal people stuff came into it. You want to build in front of me, you're blocking my view. The kids aren't allowed to go at the fridge unless it's between 10 and 11. Like, all these rules started coming in. Um, and we thought, that's no good. You know, so we were, funnily enough, like 10 families with all the kids got on the plane and went to uh, San Francisco, to Oakland, um, where the guru was actually staying at that time. And, oh, what have we got? We went over to ask him, what are we going to do? What are we, how do we deal with this? And he just said, look, just all do your own sadhana, you know, your own work on yourselves and don't worry about anyone else. So we thought, okay. So we went back and we sold the farm. But funnily enough, we all ended up with houses in the same suburb, you know, <laughs> like um, all ended up renting or buying in the same suburb. And that's where the actual Melbourne Ashram grew from. Um, but from that period, I mean, we just formed friendships that are, have got no time between them, you know. Mm, I mean, yeah. um, it was great. The kids could go from one house to the other and play, and you know, we could all visit each other. And the ones that smoked could get really stoned, and the ones that didn't, you know, could chant or whatever they wanted to do. Um, but they, they they form like kind of timeless friendships where mm. you just plug into it, you know. And, and there's just a lot of love that still flows between that. Yeah. Um, and then along the way, obviously, I've made good friends on top of that, you know, people yeah. that I really love. So, um, yeah, it's just... It's beautiful. Yeah. And now do you sort of have a community here in Bali? Like, do you just sort of, like, pop in here and there? Cause I know yeah, yeah, look, I'm, all, all the time I'm continually meeting people that mm. um, are fantastic, you know. I mean, mm. even now with the COVID thing, it's kind of uncovered a lot of great people, you know, mm. that probably... Um, were underneath all the, all the other stuff that was going on, yeah. you know. But there's a lot of great people that are here now mm -hmm. that are all looking to work together more and share things and, you know, just trying to create a new consciousness even if Bali can be a centre of that and, and, and try and transmit it a bit more through events and stuff like that. So yeah. um, it's interesting. It's like a stage two now for me in Bali as well. Um, mm. Just with that stuff becoming more visible, because a lot of the time I'm just quite happy at home writing, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that you get me. to a point where you're very okay with yourself. Yeah, yeah. Look, I even like the sound of silence, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but to, you know, quite a cliche because yeah, I mean, it's nice when it's quiet. I have yeah. music that I love, but then I I have probably longer periods of non-music. Yeah. Yeah. What part of you, this conscious journey that you've been on, what what are you most grateful for, Phil? All of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful for each of the people that I've mentioned. You know, and part of that along the way is you know, um, it's driven me to some sacred spaces. You know, where there's just energy mm. um, and and sacred energy. Mm. Um, Look, it's all just been—it's all just been a great, a great experience. You mm -hmm. know? I mean, as I said, I've been really fortunate. None of those people that I've mentioned did I go looking for. It's yeah. funny, you know. Isn't that funny? It, it, yeah, as I said with the guru, it was like a matter of him virtually pointing at me when I was taking a photo, and 
he told me to carry his bags, and I think I said that to you, and I, I, I literally, you know, literally carried them for probably 10 years or whatever. Whenever I had time, I would spend it with him. Wow. Same with the Qigong master. I mean, I didn't even know what Qigong was. And a, a friend of mine who was the daughter of a Taiwanese priest, a Taoist, said, I've just got married, and next thing you know, she's introducing me to her husband who was a Qigong master. But mm. again, um, like a, a real Qigong master, you know, um, he'd been trained since the age of four. He was Chinese, had been born in Shezuan, which is uh, the birthplace of Taoism. And he, he he was sick when he was four, so his his um, parents took him to a Taoist temple and they did all that thing of putting weights on his legs and making him jump up out of holes and all that. And yeah. then they said, look, he's special. So they, they literally gave him a lineage. Um, and he yeah. was like a master of healing. Was, I mean, you would meditate with him and the room temperature would go up immediately. You know, you yeah. just feel this heat come. Um, at the same time, he was the master of hard qigong, you know, the martial arts side of things. He was like a calligraphy master. He knew all the ancient classics and, and mm. kind of revealed how in a lot of the classic paintings and a lot of the classic poetry in, in, China, in China were actually describing qi. You know, we talk about qi of being the energy mm-hmm. um, and just how it moves through landscapes and, yeah, Again, the life force, the life force chi, yeah, the life yeah, force that goes yeah, through everything, like yeah, nature and us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, and then, then, so that wasn't a planned kind of thing. And then, as I said, the last one, that, who I still have a lot, quite a lot to do with, um, I just opened my door and he was on, he was on the doorstep of the massage table because he was looking after, um, like, quite elite sports people. Mm. And one of them lived above me, so I just opened the door, and there he was on the way up. Yeah. We started talking, and ended up again with a great relationship. And I went to um, Vietnam with him, which was quite a remarkable experience yeah. too. That's cool. That's yeah. amazing. And, yeah. and what's one tip you would give your old? This is the last question. What's one yeah. tip that you would give your old self just starting this journey? You know, think about the younger Phil who's just you know walking out there now. Well, m- maybe get a few certificates so I could charge. <laughs> so you feel you feel like education is actually like an important factor in this world. No, look, I'm just being kind of tongue in cheek there, okay. you know, because everything I learned has been through osmosis rather yeah, yeah, than yeah. courses, you know, yeah. or being in the presence of or whatever. And now <laughs> I just see everyone, you know, scurrying for certificates, yeah. and it's like, yeah, you got a certificate, but. but how how qualified are you? You know, yeah. 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 So the kind of students teaching students in a, in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah. And in some ways, that's great. And it, again, as I said, if they're helping make the destination clear, then, then that's fantastic. And yeah. the destination is your greatness, not in an ego sense. You know, yeah. it's not oh, I'm, I'm I'm great. You know, it's like mm. see, I'm great, and I'm part of this huge greatness, and and You've got to respect it and you've got to love it. Because I mean, yeah. you, you, that's, I guess, that's what I see too, is, is just the role of humility, you know, mm. or, or um, just respect, you know. Mm. Like, yeah, the role of humility. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Being, and what does that mean for you? Um, or just... just 
not being uh, totally ego driven, you know, mm. um, and just respecting respecting the, the, this power that is greater that is in everyone. So mm. yeah, it, it's kind of um, acknowledging that and and yeah. Mm. Beautiful man. So would you say your final message would be to have humility and uh, and to to get some qualifications? <laughs> yeah, if you get big qualifications, then stay humble. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that. Um, look, I mean, my, my thing does come back to the original guru of honour yourself, respect yourself, you know. God has become you, dwells within you as you, you know. Yeah. Um, you are... You, you embody the higher consciousness, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, so respect that and, and and see it in yourself and in everyone and yeah. everywhere. Yeah. yeah, beautiful man. Well, thank you very much for your time, Phil. That was. Thank you for putting up with me. No, it was beautiful. It was very yeah. good. It's it. It was good to have you on here to have because it's we've had quite a few people who are from their forties. A lot of 40s, 30s, a couple 50s, 60s. Um, but it's good to have such a diverse range to see sure. what conscious men feel, look and feel like in, in, in different experiences and different upbringings. So I really appreciate your time and, and for coming. Look, on I mean, to be honest, I'm starting to feel a sense of responsibility too, mm. to you guys, you know, because mm. I've, um, I've had these experiences and I've learned quite a bit. And if I can be of help, with anything that I've learnt, you know, mm, yeah. I'm more than happy for anyone to ask me or share. Or I mean, I've got little videos that I've done of some of these masters along the way of, of what they say. Yeah. Um, and I'm more than happy to share any of those if anyone wants to. Yeah. Um, have sure. a look. Do you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll be putting your Instagram on the show notes so they can reach out to you. Yeah, All right. Questions and whatnot. I maybe. mean, that's pretty wacky. That's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's, your, it's your style. Day. It's your style. Yeah? It's good. Yeah, it's cool. All right. Well, thank All you very right. well, much again. Thank you for, for your time. You're thank you for welcome. your time. And um, yeah, I hope. Yeah, I'll. Well, I've got to see you before you go. Anyhow, you will. Yeah. You will. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, make sure. All right. And thank you to everyone listening. And if you do have any questions for both of us, please do contact us and reach out if any of this has resonated with you. But until next time, take care. Much love. And just be I got love in my eyes Bro, I can't see I'm gonna be Who I'm destined to be Wokeness is taking My old self away Yeah, I put love into me I'm spreading that love Yo, don't you see Grab your cacao And drink it with me Cause wokeness Is taking my old self away Woke man Wokey woke man Woke man Wokey woke man Woke man Wokey woke man Bring love and just be Woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, bring love and just be.